just me isn't it yes if you remember from last week paul's on his holidays um but we continue nevertheless uh we'll be looking back at um the fires upon pay this week um on our continuing retrospective of series four and joining me for that part of the show will be stephen prescott from the man man of the box podcast uh for those of you who haven't listened to it i sincerely suggest you do so um, but anyway, we'll um, crack on with a little bit of news. There's not a lot this week, um, as you can probably imagine. Everything's gone a little bit quiet at the moment. Um, just one little um, thing on production news. Not so much um, sort of anything new, but apparently they were filming a, a bit more uh, last week for the very Dalek-heavy opening episode of Series 7. And the photograph has um, been... Sort of floating around the internet. Now it's not a spoiler. Um, I don't think you could actually say it was, but a photograph has emerged of the RTD era Daleks um, standing next to the new Paradigm Daleks uh, or the Teletubby Daleks, as people like to call them. Um, there's no um, sort of spoilers. They're just sort of shown sitting on um, in like a loading bay by the looks of things. But what it does sort of um, show you is the actual size of the new Daleks compared to the RTD era ones. Um, they are absolutely massive. At the moment, the this photograph has got the domes missing from the Paradigm Dalek props. Um, and the RTD era Daleks, fully complete, only reach the top of that uh, where that dome should be. So they are um, really, really massive props. It, it sort of puts it into a little bit of perspective for you. But... Um, Honestly, I thought, or we all thought here at Who's E, that they'd finished shooting that particular episode. Um, but uh, apparently not. So they're still filming little bits and pieces, which is uh, quite interesting. And um, I know people are sort of a little bit reluctant to welcome the Daleks back again. But um, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully they'll do something a little bit different this time. And also um, in the news, John, uh, John Barrowman um, has been saying he would like Captain Jack to appear in the 50th anniversary. He was um, interviewed by MTV Geek at the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo. Um, and he reckons it would be a shame if Captain Jack wasn't involved in the 50th anniversary. Um, he goes on to say because he was such a big figure and a big presence within the show itself and also within Torchwood. Um, but then he also said that um, it's not up to him, it's up to the executive, and it's also kind of up to the fans because if they... Um, all want it, uh, all we have to do is get on those keyboards and, and start writing. And then he sort of addressed the fans um, sort of directly, saying, you have been known to change things. Um, so he says he's spoken to Russell T. Davis, uh, I think it would be a good idea for Jack to meet uh, the 11th Doctor. Um, so I don't know what everyone thinks out there. I think it would be a shame if he wasn't involved somehow. He has been a, a big character uh, throughout this uh or throughout, when, since Doctor Who was brought back. So um, I think he is a, get to check, he's a good character, um, if done well. So um, I know I've, I've been very critical of some of Torchwood, um, but I think in Doctor Who, that's where he works particularly, particularly well. So uh, we'll see. We shall see. Now, um, also talking about sort of um, 
fans being known to change things, um, this will take me back to uh, the 1980s and Michael Grade. Now, he's been doing a, um, a documentary um, on BBC Radio 2 called On The Box, um, where he goes through the um, his inside story of where his involvement in the British TV industry. Um, everything from his, um, as it says here, from his unique viewpoint. And he's got to be unique with him. Um, now, this week he's talking to, on this week's episode, which is called Dishing the Dirt, um, he'll be talking to Stephen Moffat. Now, um, I don't know whether Doctor Who will come up. It certainly seems that way because apparently this week's episode centres around that period. Um, it starts in 1984 when he, when he um, takes over um, as BBC One controller. Um, so, it could be good. It could be interesting to listen to. So that is on um, Monday the 30th of April at 10pm on BBC Radio 2. And obviously afterwards it will be available on iPlayer. Um, so for all of you um, non-UK uh, listeners out there, um, that's how you'll be able to, able to get, get hold of that. So uh, could could be very interesting. Okay, and the last bit of uh, news, not so much news, but a congratulations to actress Zora Segal, or Seagull. I hope I'm doing a, a surname justice here. Who has become Doctor Who's, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right as well, She's become Doctor Who's first centenarian. Um, yes, yeah, she celebrated her hundredth birthday uh, last week. So um, now, for those who don't know who she is, um, she appeared in two William Hartnell stories. Um, she played the character of Shira or Shira in the second episode of The Crusade, and she had a small role um, in Marco Polo as well. She played an attendant. Um, Yes, so I don't, it's a bit of a bold claim to say she's Doctor Who's first centenarian, um, but it's been reported as such in uh, a lot of the uh, news feeds. Um, so, um, well, happy birthday to her. That's uh, quite a milestone to reach. Excellent. Okay, then. So, as I said, that was a very, very brief um, news section, and I don't like talking to myself. So, um, in a moment, I'll be joined by Stephen from Mad Man in the Box podcast. So, for another week, then, that was the news. <laughs> Okay, it's time to discuss Pfizer Pompeii, and as I mentioned earlier, we have a special guest this week. It is Stephen Prescott from a Madman with a Box podcast. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Phil. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing well, thank you very much. How are you? Oh, excellent, excellent for a Sunday. It's been a very, very wet and windy um, Sunday in the UK, but the, the sun has finally come out. Oh, I'm sorry. It's absolutely gorgeous here in San Francisco. I'm oh. going to go for a scooter ride in in a, in a bit. So. Oh, don't rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, well, I don't know if you're aware. We're actually um, the actually most of England is uh, officially been declared as as uh, drought affected, and uh, this must be the wettest drought. I've, <laughs> I, I've ever, ever had. <laughs> I did. I did hear nobody was allowed to use their garden hoses. Oh yeah, it's been ho- yeah hose pipe bans, and that's usually the first step. Um, but now they they were sort of panicking a few weeks ago, saying, "Oh, you know, you must. Um, we're gonna have to conserve more water, and this is only the first step." And ever since they did that, it's done nothing but rain. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, typical well, for this country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, talking about droughts and 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 water and things like that, it's kind of uh, kind of perfect with for this episode. Huh? It is indeed, yes, it is indeed. So, um, as I said, yeah, fires of Pompeii. Um, what, as you're our special guest, what do you what did you make of it then, and what do you make of it now? 
you know, it's uh, it's been so long, and uh, I, I haven't revisited a lot of the uh, a lot of the new series recently. So uh, so watching it now, I, I forgot how good it was. Really, it, uh, yeah, it's a damn good episode, actually, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, totally agree. It really is, uh, and uh, I really enjoyed watching it again. And uh, I, I just it, there, there's so much going on here, and for the second episode of the of this of this series, uh, and just really setting up the rest of the series and setting up Donna, and uh, it was it was it, it's a really it's a banging episode. It is because that's what we. Uh, it's, it's strange you mentioned Donna because we we talked about that last week. Um, um, I sort of personally feel it was probably the best sort of companion. Or assistant, what you want to want to call Donna, um, the best arc, I think, because she started off as a very shouty character. You go back to the things like the Runaway Bride, mm-hmm. um, and you you sort of hit this episode, and you can see the changes developing in the character already. Yeah, so they they definitely toned her down. I mean, she still has some great, really shouty moments, and uh, uh, you know, and. There's a lot of the comedy there. You can see, um, you know, w- which is what Catherine Tate excels at, right? So, That's right. Uh, there's still a lot of that there in, in the episode, but she's definitely she's definitely toned down. She's not as bombastic as she was in Runaway Bride, where she just was pretty much grating. Yeah, that's it. Uh, oh, yeah, she was pretty grating in that, actually. But I think that's what was asked of her, yeah. to be honest. Well, yeah. 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 Um, but I think this one, um, the whole thing about she wanted to save... Not just as you say that just that the um that one family she wanted to warn everybody in Pompeii, didn't she? That was the and she didn't care where it was affecting history. She wasn't gonna stand by and let all those people die if she could help it. She uh, I, and I'm mad enough to admit this, but she really at the end uh, I was watching when I was rewatching this, I was getting choked up and I don't remember getting that emotional the first time I watched it, but oh, I was wow. getting really choked up watching it and and how she was just you know, pleading with the doctor to save just one person, and she she sold it. She sold it through and through. You really, really believed uh, uh, that that you know that she was feeling that pain. It was it was amazing. Oh, it was. It was. A, I mean, I think that's the thing that surprised everybody with Catherine Tate was the fact that she is a, a damn fine actress, and everybody. I don't know if you're familiar with the Catherine Tate show. I've I've seen a bit. I've seen a bit. Well, I think yeah. that I think that was the the problem with the Runaway Bride, and I think. Maybe sort of certain sections of um, partners in crime, where she was a little bit, as you say, that shouty thing. And now and again, you got some of those because she does different characters in the in the Catherine Tate shows. A lot of involves right. makeup and and uh, actually some of the times she's unrecognisable. But um, now and again, you could say, oh, that sounds like that character, and the way she delivered that line sounds like this character, and. And I think come this episode, she uh, to me anyway, she'd lost a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, it was, she definitely she she become Donna, right? I mean, she uh, you know I have seen a bits bits of the Catherine Tate show and I've, uh, of her her previous work, and she uh, th- there definitely wasn't wasn't that I wasn't I wasn't feeling any of that. I was feeling you know this this is this is Donna, this is who who this is, and you know she'd obviously you feel that she had been through so much while she was trying to find the doctor and wanting to, you know, everyone who gets a taste of the doctor, it's not enough. Exactly. You, you, so, uh, so it changes you. And it was obvious that it's, it's obvious that that's sort of the, the progression of the character here. Yeah. I mean, that's the, um, I think that was the, that's why, that's why I think it's probably one of the, the best realized um, companions, certainly in the RTD um, era. Totally agree. So, yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love, Billy Piper 
but that's probably for more personal reasons. <laughs> but uh, but D- Donna is my my uh, my favorite companion from the from the RTD period, hands down. I mean, oh, yeah, she's yeah. she's she you know she doesn't seem she, on paper she shouldn't be equal to the doctor at all but she is she stands up to him and she pushes him and she really is his, his best friend oh totally totally um i think that's what makes it even more um and i hate to use the word heartbreaking because that's been used a bit too often lately yeah. since uh, Stephen moffat took over but i think that does make it a little more heartbreaking come the final episode when basically everything she's she's become is taken away from her, and she's back to square one again. She's back to being plain old Donna. Yeah, yeah. And and she's think, back to yeah, back to being annoying and grating Donna from from Runaway exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the one time I didn't mind. Um, I know it was jumping way way ahead, and we kept doing that last week. But it's very easy to do when you when you're discussing this particular character. But um, it's the one time I didn't mind the reset button being pressed because that did tend to happen quite a bit with Russell T Davis in his finales just press the reset button and it never happened um but this time it actually worked for the character yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah definitely yeah. so um anyway back back to the episode itself um what did you sort of think of the the story it's 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 i actually really like the story i mean and you've got this moral dilemma first of all i I love when the Doctor. I love historicals. So yeah. uh, I love historical Doctor Who, and I love when he actually travels in time, and I love when uh, when his actions actually affect something that we know from history, because uh, it, there's just something. It, it brings this little bit of uh, unrealistic realism to it, if you can understand what I mean. Where you're just like, wow, okay, so Pompeii happened because uh, because the Doctor and Donna and Donna were there. That's that to me, that's a, that's a great uh, that's a great concept, and and when it's done well, like it is here, uh, with with real emotion and weight to it, I, mm. I I can't help but but absolutely love it. So so this story of them actually being there and them causing the eruption of Pompeii that's 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 fantastic to me. Oh, it is. Um, I should try to remember the name of the. Um, this this is this is really bad for me actually I can't remember the name of the uh, the, the Davison story um, but basically the one where he causes the fire of London right right uh, and I, for life of me I cannot remember what the hell that episode is called um, oh well never mind um, please write in and, and jog my memory uh, listeners <laughs> uh, but um, yeah that, that's I like as you say I do like that kind of story where, they, where their actions cause the history that everyone's so familiar with I, I like the way they weave that in um, I'd actually sort of f- forgotten because um, I say it's been a long time since I last watched this episode. I was so like yourself. I don't tend to revisit um, new Doctor Who, and the reason I do is for, but basically for the podcast. You know, so it's been a long time since I last watched this, and I, I say I really did enjoy the fact that he caused uh, Pompeii to explode, and I'd, I'd actually forgotten all about that bit. <laughs> so, so it comes a nice surprise to me today. That proves how long ago since I last watched this. But, <laughs> but actually, yeah. it, it makes me think maybe I should watch it more because I say I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It, it actually does make me want to uh, go back and, and watch some of those episodes that I know that I uh, that I really love the first time around and sort of because I, I'm I'm the same way. I don't actually revisit uh, the new series very often uh, because for my podcast, I'm I'm, I'm 
revisiting old series episodes a lot because uh, guests seem, tend to pick the old uh, classic ser- classic series episodes more than new series. So, mm. uh, so I just don't have the time. Um, <laughs> Uh, trying to get through classic episodes, and you know, there's so many. Uh, so, um, but uh, but yeah, uh, it makes me, it definitely makes me want to go back and watch some more uh, some more Donna episodes, and uh, and I actually really want to go back and watch Partners in Crime because uh, after listening to what you guys said about it, and I remember really really enjoying Partners in Crime the first time I saw it, and because it was such a farce, almost you know, it it's was just a, yeah, it's yeah. it's a pure comedy episode, really. Oh, t- completely. I think that was the um, the thing that sort of quite surprised me when I when I rewatched it because I, I remember when I first watched it on the television, I wasn't particularly sort of fussed about it. I thought, okay, it's the series opener, you know. Uh, but while watching it again, I really enjoyed it. I really yeah. did enjoy, it. and and likewise with this episode as well. Um, it would seem to be the standard uh, format for the, since the series came out. The second episode of each series has to be. Um, an historical um, episode, right? Um, so, yeah. Um, so that yeah, this was absolutely um, brilliant, and also what I, f- I think for me that actually sort of really, really benefited um, this episode was actually filming actually in now. I, I, forgive my pronunciation. The was it the Cine Cine Chitta or Cine Sitter Studios yeah. in Rome? Yeah, um, I, I can't pronounce it either, but that's that's exactly right. Where they where they filmed the HBO Rome series? Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, all I know that the, it actually in English it means cinema city. That's all I know. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, but the, I mean that really did lend um, itself to the to the production. Is actually filming on proper, um, properly built sets. Um, that, Definitely. Yeah, um, and it, it it just captured the whole feel of actually sort of being in that um, particular point in history because they say that the sets were all pre-built they've been spent obviously a lot of money on those sets as well probably something the BBC wouldn't necessarily have the budget for um, so it was a stroke of genius to, to um, actually be able to film there yeah really for was. sure um, for sure but I did like the little um, the little jokes as well so like Donna could see everything in English and hearing everybody speak in English like the you know the, the Cockney uh, market stall holder that was there, but when she sort of spoke to him in Latin, he thought, he thought that was Welsh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course it's Welsh. Of course it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot, I forgot about that little joke, actually. I thought I really, I really liked that. But um, no, actually, I was just reading up um, on this today, and they said that the, um, the critics were a little bit divided about this episode. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. What did you think of, of, of Phil Davis in this episode? Well, I've said, obviously... So he's been being a British actor. I've seen him in quite a few things, and he's actually quite a good actor because he he doesn't he usually does play like a miserable old bastard in a lot of things he does. But yeah. um, I think in this, he, it, that's what was required. But I have seen him other things where he, he's actually quite, he can be quite a sympathetic um, sympathetic character in what he what when it's required, and that's what he can do. And I think in this, he was, he was meant to be the bad guy of the piece. Um, and a lot of scowling was required on his part, um, which I, I didn't mind. I didn't have any problem with his performance, to be honest. It, it felt it felt a bit panto to me. It felt like he was just a little over the top through the whole through the whole time, and that's the only thing that really bothered me. Is is he, he was the only character that I didn't like really. Even uh, Cacilius, who was. Uh, 
you know, doddering around and this and that, and and very. Mm. Uh, I I actually just watched In the Loop. Um, oh so, yes. Uh, <laughs> seeing, seeing Peter Capaldi in, in other things and then seeing him in this is really really shows how how amazing of an actor he is. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, he didn't he didn't bother me. But but Phil Davis, he just was. It, it, it just the the whole character itself and the fact that yeah that uh his name was Lucius Petrus Dextrus Dextrus and he had a uh, a stone, stone arm. arm yeah yeah all of that was just felt a little bit like uh just like thrown in at the end it just it just felt like okay we we, we this the, we're we're not going to figure this out it just it felt like it was temp stuff that ended up in the final in the final episode yeah that's that's probably the sort of thing that sort of an accusation you could probably level up Russell T. Davis for a lot of things actually he just seems that he gets so um actually have you read The Writer's Tale? I, I haven't I have it, but I, I haven't been able to sit and really get through it uh just because <laughs> and I, I, I shouldn't say this out loud but emails between Davies and Ben Cook really bug me because <laughs> it's they're so like like I, I'm trying to put this delicately but they're just kissing each other's bums and it's just you know it's just like it, you know it's it so it's it, so ridiculous yeah, how, it, how how far up each other's bums they are so <laughs> well i was about to say because if if you read that russell e. davis he he does get or did get genuinely excited about what he was writing about and he come up with these, these ideas and and he, so he he would just go with them, and he was sort of determined to sort of get them into his scripts by hook or by crook. Um, and I think that that was the problem because he gets so wrapped up in what he was trying to do. And as you say, with the little joke names like Lucius Petrus Dextrus, um, it's probably an idea he had at the time and thought, "Oh, just a little little joke name. Oh, no, I've got to have that in. I've got to keep it in." Um, yeah, and probably to its detriment. Well, really. he Davies always misses the details. Right, I mean, this is the this is the huge difference between he and Moffat, really, and and Moffat, because because Moffat misses some details, but is able to, but he gets so many of the details right, and gets so down to the nitty gritty of things that you that when there are details that 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 you want to nitpick about, is when he can when he'll always have an answer. But yeah. Davies always forgets these little detail things. You know, there's always there's there's always these. Uh, plot holes or not i mean they're not so much plot holes as as just uh i didn't say he sh- that could really have easily been better explained but because he's so focused on these these big pictures and this these these bigger bombastic ideas he forgets about the you know the the the, the little things that actually make the story feel like a full story yeah I'm, i know what you mean because there was no real um explanation as to how or why um, all these people that breathed in the fumes were basically turning to stone. There was no real explanation or, or how they got their powers. What was so special about these people that they could get all these sort of psychic um, abilities? There was no real explanation for that. You just sort of yeah. You just sort of, was, oh, I mean, they, they breathe in the stone and all the dust particles, and and that's all the information you're going to get. Yeah, there was something about the dust particles being parasitic and and having some of the qualities of the the pyrovials, but it really didn't it didn't make a lot of sense. You're no. right, and it, and it, and and it could have been because that was the that was, you know, and why were they giving all of these people 
you know uh, uh, this 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 extra sight? Why were the, why were they giving them psychic abilities um, when they really when it wasn't helping the pyrovi- the pyrovials at all for no. these people to know? No, exactly. You know, except for except for Lucius for making them this circuit board. So by you know him, if he were the only one who were having the vision, who was having the visions and was able to you know make the circuit board, and it, it, he would have been. So much more powerful, and would have been able to actually help the the, the pyroviles, you know, uh, take over better, rather than giving it out to all of these other people and the 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 uh, the, the sisters and and everything and everyone having the second sight. And it just, yeah, it was sort of like uh, I don't I, I didn't really understand any that that part of it at all. No, no, I didn't. Um, it was just there for you know dramatic effect, really, wasn't it? It was just sort of like okay, we got to have these people who can see the future um, there's got to be some sort of science fiction element um, to it which Rusty Davis always said that um, none of his stories would be anything to do with um, you know the supernatural everything right. had to be rooted in science fiction somehow um, well he lived up to that really until we got to uh, <laughs> end of time part part one with special magic potions but so uh, we've, we've already talked about that one on our podcast so um, yeah. yeah, so um, yeah, it's, it's, probably, but, uh, it's probably the only thing that didn't sort of make a hell of a lot of sense for, for me anyway. It probably yeah. just needed a little bit more explanation. But, but if any good came out of it, we got Karen Gillan. Yeah, now I'd forgotten how much she was actually in this episode. She is the, the main, yeah, I had forgotten as well. Uh, and then, you know, the first sister of the Sibylline shows up and it's her. Yeah, like hey, whoa, that's that's Karen, and and yeah, she really is sort of the featured, the you know, the featured player for the first half of the episode at least, and uh, also speaking in, in an English accent as well, which was, uh, which again I've completely forgotten about. Yeah, yeah, which wasn't really all that much different than her Scottish accent. Her, uh, her accent isn't isn't that thick. It's no, it's not no, um, but um, it, it just seemed like a nice um, sort of nice surprise really to um, just sort of. You know, to see and hear her as as much as as she was in it, um, and also, I think as well, I've also forgotten she was sort of was acting differently as well. Because everyone said she, I mean, I probably leveled this same criticism at her as well um, when she first appeared in the show as Amy. Um, again, she could be a little bit shouty the way she delivered some of her lines. Yes, um, and that did great on me quite a bit when she did that. But um, but as you say. She has obviously she has played a different character. I didn't realize she had so many uh, lines of dialogue in Fires of Pompeii as well. Um, I, I didn't realize that. I did not realize that either. And she what and and in acting, she wasn't doing that uh, that wide eyed stare that that she does as Amy. And there's always those. There's always these <laughs> close ups on her where she's just she does this this wide eyed. Uh, flared nostril stare, like it's like, uh, of like shock. It's like I bet, like I bet you a five and not to blink for thirty seconds. You know, it's <laughs> yes, you know. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, but she didn't do that at all in this. And okay, a lot of the time it was required for her to to converse with the rest of the sisterhood to place her hands over her eyes. But uh, so obviously you couldn't see what was going on there. But um, yeah, I, I was just pleasantly surprised. I really was. Now, actually, as we sort of moved on to the sisterhood, what did we think of uh, the, the sisterhood? Because I think that was probably a little bit of um, overacting to a certain degree as well. There, yeah, yeah, the, especially the uh, the high priestess. 
Oh yeah. Uh, you know the the just uh, I just didn't. Yeah, it was definitely just overacting. It was a little. It was a little over the top. I mean, I loved. You know the the doctor defeats them with a water pistol, and and that whole thing is 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 hilarious. And <laughs> and uh, and and uh, Donna, you know, when they're about to when they're about to sacrifice her or whatever, you know, it, her her reactions in that whole situation are just just funny. You know, I mean, they're not believable, and they're no, not, not so. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody would. Uh, she should have been freaking out way more than she was, but uh, but it was but it was funny, and so uh, so I let it go for that. I let a lot of things go if it, if things are funny. Yeah, because I just because sort of, I've recently watched um, Brain of Morbius, and <laughs> yeah, and obviously you've got that sort of sisterhood of um, was it the sisterhood of was it Khan? Uh, I, I I I don't recall. Oh, I think that's what they call. But um, there's a lot of um, overacting there as well. And obviously, that was a, a different period in sort of Doctor Who's history, and acting techniques were sort of very much. It's all sort of like stage bound. If if you yeah. if you know what I mean, it's if they were acting on stage. And and I thought the Sister of the Sibylline in, in this particular episode, it reminded me of Brain of Morbius. It was a similar, yeah. Even down to certain aspects of the makeup and everything, um, I don't know if that's what they were trying to channel. Yeah, I always that thought that they were. I always thought they yeah. were as well because because I because when I first saw this, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, they really remind me of the Sisterhood from the, you know, or, or is this some sort of something? You know, throughout time and space, there are these sisterhoods that are very that are very similar to each other. They all you know these witches, basically. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought that was sort of very very sort of close. Um, sort of very, very sort of close cousins, really. I would say, um, as, as sisterhoods go. Um, but I, I thought, well, they, they just sort of serve their serve their purpose. It, again, it was probably required to do that sort of overacting side of things. And I think it, for, for the most part, it did kind of it did kind of work. But yeah, yeah. It I just, mean, it, I... just, it just now and again, it's sort of, maybe you can sort of tone tone it that line down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make the the biggest problem was what was their part in all of this? Again, again, you know, it's it's they they are worshiping this this high priestess, or they're 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 worshiping you know the pyrovile. It doesn't that never really makes any sense to me. It never really makes any sense what part that they play in it. And and Lucius uh, Lucius Petrus Dextrus doesn't he. It, it almost seems like he's at odds with the sisterhood, but they're all working for the same cause. You yeah, know, I, that's what I couldn't quite um, couldn't quite make out. To be honest, yeah, I couldn't either. I yeah, didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what 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 part they played, why they were uh, why they were there. You know, uh, so that's where I was. That's where I was a little bit lost. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's um, but actually, when we talk about the um, the Paravals, I thought they were very well realized. Uh, I totally, I I totally agree with that. Uh, I they they uh, they that was amazing, amazing effects by by the mill there. Uh, they looked fantastic. Oh, it was absolutely. I mean, considering the sort of the amount of um, budget they've got, they sort of allocate to each episode. Um, and okay, they they were used sparingly, but when you did see them, I thought fantastic, absolutely yeah, abso- fantastic. Yeah, you're, and you're right about the budget because they already were spending enough money to go to Italy 
to shoot. Mm, And then they, you know, uh, so they must, you know, uh, this is, I think this is why there was a, there was a midnight uh, and uh, there was a turn left because neither of those episodes required a lot of budget. So um, for a a lot of effects, it was just all, you know, in in studio or regular places that they usually go. So, um, so they were able to spend, extra on uh, on an episode like this uh, and 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 go on location and and get these these wonderful villains oh uh, yeah. it's wonderful aliens yeah absolutely fantastic um but the only thing i, I sort of the little bit easily defeated was you say with like um like a water pistol or a, <laughs> right, or right. a bucket or a bucket of water so bu- yeah the bucket of water i mean it, i uh, <laughs> yeah yeah well it just seemed to show. Would, it, just, it just seemed to show. You've got this enormous sort of rock monster that's breathing fire, and it should rain down destruction on it on anything it, it it sort of comes into contact with, and it sort of knocks out with a water pistol. So, <laughs> right, right, and, and and again, what what was what was there? This is and maybe this is just me not not paying attention or anything. But what was their plan? What were they? They were. Were they trying to take over the planet? Was that the was were were they trying to? Yeah, that's that I I got kind of lost on that. What was the real, what was the real threat there? Well, that they were trying to take over the planet because their own planet Paravol had been lost. Right, it had been lost. It, by we're, we're, Davros. Yeah, it was Davros. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah. but, but that, so, so they, were, they were trying to take over the planet. They were trying to get to the Earth's core and take over the planet that way. That's right. Yeah, because that was because they were actually taking the energy from Vesuvius for themselves, basically. Right. Right. Um, so that's when when the Doctor sort of blew things up. They lost all their all their energy. That was a crap plan that they had. It was really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, all it took was was blowing blowing Vesuvius, and but you wouldn't even think that. But these are this this is again, and and now now I'm really nitpicking, and I'm and I, and I apologize. But <laughs> that, as, that, I, that, as I think the... more about it, I'm like, wait. <laughs> so these are these are creatures made out of out of magma and rock. Why would a, why would the explosion kill them to begin with? Why wouldn't it just make them stronger? Oh no, it just sort of like. The, the, I think it was it, the doctor said it's the, was it the um the Vesuvius going off was the equivalent of twenty four nuclear nuclear bombs going off, right? And, and he said nothing would survive that anyway. But as you, <laughs> but as you say, they're made out of rock and magma. So <laughs> yeah, this is there was it, it, it may have been that, but they yeah exactly they, they they were in their element. I mean, if he poured if if he made it rain on them or poured you know tons of of cold water on them, I could see them being defeated. But yeah, but uh, you know more hot more uh, magma and rock and I don't yeah yeah. Actually, actually, as you say, you, you worry about nitpicking. Don't worry. This this is what we do on this podcast. So, you know, don't, <laughs> so don't, don't worry about that. But but um, I, I, it just suddenly dawned on me. Why why would they try and to? Okay, it's got a nice big ball of magma at the at the planet's core. But um, for a planet that is predominantly covered in water. You wouldn't really well, want to try and take that over, really, would you? Well, the doctor <laughs> says that to them. He's like, he's like, are you sure you want this planet? It's eighty percent water out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you saw Russell T. Davies saw the, the floor in his own script there and thought, I better try and sort of, you know, <laughs> get the yeah. doctor, doctor to cover this one off. But <laughs> the, res- the response was water boils, but that's not a good response. That that doesn't make no. any sense to me. It's no, not at all. No, not at all. But <laughs> but obviously going on to the. Um, 
the explosion of Vesuvius itself. I thought that was, I mean, again, that was all done by the mill. And I thought that was really, really well done. I thought it looked absolutely spectacular. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, I mean, it, it just looked, again, it looked amazing. And uh, and the whole sequence of running through the city and the ash and, and you know, everything getting destroyed was was incredibly well realized oh completely i think that i try to remember watching um confidential when they talked about how they made or realized the effect of vesuvius blowing i think they sort of took different it was like a composite um effect they took bits of um footage and, and some of it was cgi some of it was real and they sort of blended it into this one scene to to make it look as realistic as they possibly could and i, and I, I think they was spot on with that one yeah, I, th- I remember that as well. I remember them going and, t- and taking tons and tons of photos at the actual site, and and uh, they were they were showing that whole process and and how many different photos they took to composite it all together and, and make it explode. Which is when which is when Doctor Confidential was good. <laughs> yeah, before yeah. It, yeah before it um, got to Karen Gillan driving cars around a racetrack. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was. It, it's it's always good when when the behind the scenes when there is actually something going on behind the scenes. You know, when it's, I think that's that's part of why it became less uh, less important with with Moffat is because a lot of his stories are a lot smaller. You know, there's not a lot. It's it, it, he he didn't he doesn't uh, from the series six and seven. There haven't been these huge bombastic stories, you know, where the entire you've had the, the the universe at stake, but you haven't had the universe at stake in a way that that Davies did it. You know, Davies was trying to top things all the time and make oh, it bigger, gotcha. bigger and bigger. And so yeah. it was so, all, it know, was all spectacle, wasn't it? Yeah, it really yeah. was. And so when you've got that much spectacle, you've actually got a bit to talk about behind the scenes. But you know, with with Moffat, it really is, it, from at least in my opinion, it really is about the characters actually having conversations about things and so when things become smaller it's really it's kind of kind of not it's it's fun to be on set for those things but it's not fun to film and talk about those things you know how, yeah how do you, that's how right do you, you know? I, I'd actually it's, it's sort of interesting you say that I wonder, I wonder what um if Davis had written the Big Bang what kind of a different episode that would have been <laughs> because you say as you say because um Stephen Moffat made it a very very tight and small story it was the universe ending but he he made it a very very and the base of the doctor trying to reboot it and it was it was a very very basically you had you had four um actors basically carrying the whole story yeah um it just makes you wonder what would have happened if rtd had written the same story how different that would have been as you say would it, would it would it have been more spectacle would he have brought back all the old companions again for it and as you say, constantly trying to top himself. I can't. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, it's how. I can't imagine how he would approach that in the in the least. You know, because it is. It's. It is such a different story from the from the from the RTD days, and and mm. uh, that's that's what I loved about it so much is that uh, it seems like okay, we're going to go the opposite now. You know, we'll, we'll we'll do. You know, Pandora opens. We'll have. You know, all of the villains come in for like a brief moment or whatever, just to remind everybody. But really, this isn't this this isn't about all that. This is about the Doctor saving the universe. Exactly. Again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. But on a much more uh, on a smaller scale. <laughs> yeah. 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 
I think, I think, I think you, one thing you can guarantee if Davis had written that, um, it, as you said, it would have been bombastic. Yeah. Without shadow of a doubt, it would have been bombastic. Um, so, of course, we've sort of we gone for um, reach the point where Vesuvius has exploded. Um, now you get like Donna, as we, we talked about earlier on, Donna pleading with the Doctor to save to save the family, at least save, you know, someone, even though he can't save the, you know, the, the whole of Pompeii. Um, which leads me to the only bit that I didn't particularly like, and this is sort of where Rusty Davis was sort of beginning to, it was that whole lonely God thing again, wasn't it? You know, when he, when Don sort of convinces him to go back um, and rescue Peter Capaldi's family. Yeah. That bit when the TARDIS lands and he opens up the door and there's the bright light behind him and all that. And I thought, oh, come on, you know. (laughs) It really bothered me as well. Every every time I see that, it bothers me. I was like, what is that white light? Is she standing behind him with a spotlight just to make him look better? Like That doesn't look like the inside of the TARDIS at all. There's no reason for it to be that bright. It's just a completely dramatic effect, and it just comes off as cheesy. It does, yeah. And I think that was the thing that was beginning to... Um, to bother me by that point, it was sort of turning, and especially by the time you got to like the end of time part two, where you had the doctor leaping out of a moving spaceship, crashing through a glass dome, hitting a marble floor, and he's got a few scratches on. He's basically turned the doctor into some sort of superhero. Yeah, and I think yeah. this is where that that was beginning to to happen. It's funny. I, I recently watched uh, Silence in the Library and Force of the Dead for uh, an episode of my podcast. That's uh, That'll be up this week, and uh, and I and I didn't mention this on the podcast, but uh, I was thinking about it when he when there's the gravity the gravity elevator, and he decides to dive headfirst instead of taking the elevator down because it's faster. Yeah, and it's and he's <laughs> shining his sonic screwdriver flying down. It's the most ridiculous thing. Why would why would you jumping headfirst be any better than just taking the elevator like a normal person? I know. I know, I know, I know. He's in a hurry, but yeah, yeah. come on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, so it'll be a couple, a few weeks before we sort of reach that point in our podcast. But um, I'll, I'll be sure to bring that up when I. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, um, it, it, it was that that you know I don't know if um, I don't know what why sort of Rusty those did that thing. It was like he was so, um, so sort of wrapped up in the in particularly Tenant's Doctor. Um, and it's sort of that we, we can make him do anything because he's the right. doctor. It, it's the kind of show is we can make the doctor do anything. He's got a, a blue box. He can travel in time and space and he can go anywhere, do anything. Um, but, but that, all that sort of the, you know, the hero poses and everything. Um, it just, for me, it just, it was just a step, step too far. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. There's something interesting here about the end. Uh, about the end as well. Um, so I don't know if you, it, it, in in your research on this, you know that. So hmm. the, the Cacilius's family is based. Uh, it c- comes from a Latin textbook. Oh, okay. So, so the whole thing. So this Latin textbook is is all about is all about Cacilius and his uh, and his family. While well, his wife isn't in it, um, and. Uh, uh, they're, they live in Pompeii, and um, Quintus is the only one who survives. And there's, so there's this whole there's this whole story that takes place in this in this in this Latin textbook that is all about Achilles. And so so basically, James Moran took that and integrated it into his story. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, Interesting. So so in the in the in the textbook in the textbook they do get through 
Pompeii and Quintus survives and this and that. And so he rewrote their story and having the whole family survive and uh, in, instead of just instead of just the son. And, uh, you know, as much as I love the whole emotional aspect of, of Donna, you know, you know, when she's begging the doctor to save someone and he's like, I can't I, I can't save anyone. Yeah. Which is kind of, kind of a ridiculous thought to begin with anyway. You know, of course, you could. <laughs> You can say someone, someone, you know, you're not going to, you know, um, uh, I mean, you know, it's not like either of them knows the exact head count of, of how many people have died of Pompeii anyway. So, uh, it, I, I would have found it interesting if, uh, if the, the reason why they, if one of the reasons why they were able to save the families, because they, they figured this out, that this was the family that was talked about. (laughs) They made it like super meta, you know? Yeah. Like, they came back like, wait, I do remember. I do. Okay. Yes, we can do it. We can do it. it. We can save You know? But there's this this whole fixed point in time thing that you know this is really so this is this is really where the fixed point of time comes comes into play. Right? This is I think this is probably the the first place that Davies really talks about it and starts explaining it and like really really just wrote himself into a corner with with that and and that I think Moffat is still trying to get out of. I think so. Yeah, because he's now it's it's Doctor Who's now all about all time can be rewritten. Right. Yeah. Or you know all the. You know, a phrase has been overused. Unfortunately, it seems to have really caught the, everyone's imagination. Is the wibbly wobbly timey wimey um, yeah. aspect of it? So, um, but it's interesting when you talk about the, the the fixed point in time because then by the time we get to Waters of Mars, um, if I remember, remember rightly, Fires of Pompeii is more or less referenced with the doctors that well, I couldn't save anyone. That you know, yeah. all, so all these things happen. It's all because of me. And at that point, he decides, well, that's it. We you know, sod the, the, you know, the rules of time or the laws of time. I'm going to rescue everybody. You're all supposed to have died, but I'm going to change time. I'm going to rescue everybody. And it all went catastrophically wrong for him. Right. Um, and I think it was a call back to this where he, he, he wouldn't involve himself at that level. As you say, he kept going about the fixed point in time. This has to happen. These people have to die. Because um, because that was the whole thing in Waters of Mars. As soon as he arrived there, he knew what was going to happen that day. He kept, well, I really should be going now because he he knew he couldn't mess around with that one. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Uh, but but you know, apparently, uh, even though fixed point in times can't fixed points in time can't be changed, mm. uh, they can be tricked. Yes, <laughs> can be tricked, and that's what happened, wasn't it? <laughs> So so time time doesn't know that the doctor didn't die. So so by so that that's the so the time is so fixed point fixed points in time are written by history, but it's so that so the whole thing is just the whole thing makes no sense now, right? So they're they're written by by history. It's the, the what happens in history. It's the record of it. I, I assume. Yeah. So but it it, it 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 you know but he they make it seem like time is some force some metaphysical force that is that is happening and if you mess with it then it's it's gonna bite back but yeah apparently that doesn't happen if you you know if you fake your own death that is supposed to be (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah that's quite true actually that is quite true i was actually thinking more of um um adelaide committing suicide in the waters of mars actually because there she she just sort of not so much trick time but tried to sort of put things back to back to normal sort of like time was tricked for a um, a very short space of time before she decided to put a gun to her head. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I think it was, I think I quite enjoyed it in that particular sort of the callback to the farce of Pompeii, really, but where he said, "Well, that time he couldn't save anybody." Um, um, but apart from, as you say, uh, Quintus's family, which, right. I, which I didn't know was an actual Latin text. That's so. Um, thank you. I've, I've learned something new there, actually. <laughs> ah, you're welcome. Educational as well with this podcast, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love bits of trivia like that. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Same here. Same here. I sort of love for sort of picking up things like that. So, um, so apparently it was also with um, going sort of skipping forward a couple of series. Um, and again, I've, I've forgotten the name of the episode, the, the the pirate episode, which everybody seems to hate. Ah, uh, yes, curse the curse, curse the curse of the, the black, black spots. spots. That's it. Um, well, apparently that um, the Hugh Bonneville character was an actual um, pirate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I, I, and I didn't know that until I was sort of reading into it a bit more. I thought, wow, they've actually lifted someone from history here. So. Yeah, well, and and actually, his his treasure is the treasure that they're looking for in the first doctor's the first doctor episode with the pirates, uh, which I can't remember the name of now either. Um, uh, it's a ref it's a reference to to a first doctor episode. Yeah, um, yeah, I can't remember it either. Actually, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, no, it's gone. Uh, yeah, uh, now it's that's that's totally going to bother me now. But uh, anyway, <laughs> oh well, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll fill in the blanks later. Um, oh, the smugglers, the smugglers. Oh. Yes, there you go. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, right. Um, I was sort of quite. Again, it was a nice little because I know we're sort of going way way off topic here, but um, Moffat always he did like doing a lot of callbacks to old to previous. Um, incarnation of the Doctor. He's always constantly reminding people, you know, with, with you know, with the library card with Hartnell's picture on it, yes, and things like that, and sort of the all, mirror matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, sort of just referencing previous things from whose history. He loves doing that. And again, like to reference a character that he didn't actually see in the Smugglers, the first Doctor story, right? You know, uh, uh, you know, and you know what it is. It's it's. Moffat wants to constantly remind people that he's as big of a fan as the rest of us are. Oh, without shadow of a doubt. If not bigger. Yeah. Oh, without shadow of a doubt. Um, I think to a certain degree, uh, Davis was the same as well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. He, he, he tends to sort of over rely on certain things of, from whose history, like, like an over reliance of the Daleks, for argument's sake. Because they were constantly coming back. He was. The Doctor was constantly defeating them, and I can understand why Moffat wanted to give them a bit of a breather. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, and and I, I feel like uh, the difference between the two of them has to do with it's almost <laughs> this is <laughs> I'm going to be controversial here. For <laughs> Boy, a go for it, go for it. Okay, so it's almost it, it almost reminds me of new series fans and fans who have, people who have been fans of the show since the classic series, um, mm. where uh, new it, you know everyone is just as much of a fan, but their frame of reference for the series is is very different, and it's very uh, the where somebody who's been watching the show their entire life has has this very large frame of reference and, and, and history that they've brought with them up to up to the current point. And uh, and somebody who is a new fan of the show is, may, may know all of the old history as well, um, as well as the new history, but they haven't had it with them that whole time. Um, there's, this, there's this 
different. There's a very different uh, view. Uh, they have a very different view of the show, uh, in, yeah. uh, because of those things. And I think that that Davies has that sort of uh, that sort of new series fan mentality. And I think that he, you know, he probably loves the 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 loves the things that he does and the things that he did in the show way more than anything that came before. And so he's sort of like, so he sort of uh, has this, you know, he he has the highlight reel in his head, you know, and and it's almost like he's he's not as thorough of a fan. He's not he's not a geek, you know. No, he's, he, no. Moffat is, you know, Moffat is a geek. Oh, without shadow of a doubt, yeah. And I mean, so and so Davy's perspective on things is a little bit different. And so so of course he he he's always bringing in the highlights. He's bringing in Davros and then and the Daleks, you know, and and uh, and the Cybermen and and. Whereas, you know, uh, you know Moffat has brought in, you know, I mean, he's brought in Silurians, but, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's a very different, it's a very different perspective on, on, on the history of who I think that the two of them have oh, and, yeah, and how to approach it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think the only sort of thing that sort of RTD brought back, and again, it was sort of, wasn't used um, that, that much or that well, really, was the macra. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say the macro, and I felt like that was just a uh, that I mean that was totally a throwaway. It was. It was just like a little nod, wasn't it, to the past? And it's sort of, well, you know, this this is a quite an obscure um, monster from Doctor Who's history, um, and yeah. it's not even a monster you can actually um, see in its original form anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, um, and it, it almost felt it, it felt a little pandering. It did a little bit, yeah, but then not not to really use them at all yeah. um yeah it just seemed a bit of a wasted opportunity you, you're going to bring them back and and that one really was this this is for uh the old school fans they're going to get this yeah you know um which we all did but then they weren't used that for okay you just see them snapping away um in the fog and that was it really mm-hmm. you know they, they were sort of kept in the okay they were kept in the background they were sort of um, so we, you know, if you go down to the lower levels, these something will happen to. No one knew what it was, and the doctor realised, oh, it's Macra. Um, but then that that was it. As you say, it was, it was just a throwaway. It's a little, as you say, a little nod, um, nod to the past, and let's let's move along. And I can understand RTD was trying to set up his own mythology for the show. Yeah, well, yeah, but you know, Moffat. Moffat's been trying to set up his own mythology as well, but you know Moffat. Uh, I mean, series six. You know, you had this. You had that one Cyberman episode, which didn't even really need to be the Cyberman. It didn't. It just, no, it, absolutely. You know, right. yeah. Um, but it, it it they fit right. So it was like, oh, let's make it make it easy. And there's there was no, but there were really there were no old villains in series six. You know, it no, was all it was all about uh you know the doctor moving forward and and the, and this and and the silence and things like that and and it was fantastic we didn't need that we got enough callbacks in the dialogue we got enough callbacks exactly in, yeah in, in in the doctor just acknowledging that he has history beyond what you know what we're actually seeing and that's that's i think that's you know what most people want most people want new stories i mean you you look at 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 you know at uh, at classic Doctor Who and the and the, the 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 episodes and villains that people really love and remember. I mean, Zygons only had one episode. 
Yes, that's right. But yeah. they're, they're, they're so well um, well regarded as, as I think as monsters. I think people are just sort of um, well, it's the old school fans are clamouring for this this monster. Like it's always them or the Ice Warriors. Right, they're the two main sort of um, sort of creatures that um, old school fans want to see the return of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 well, and I, I think I was going to say I always found the Ice Warriors to be a little bit rubbish, actually. But yeah, uh, I'm going to agree with you on that one. Uh, yeah. But I, I, you know, I think the thing is, is that neither of them were spoiled by subsequent stories. Yeah, yeah, that's so, it. Yeah, it's so it's so it's it's probably. Good that we haven't gotten them yet, unless um, though I know I know uh, I know one director would like to get his hands on the Zygons, and uh, and uh, I, I I'd like to see him uh, I'd like to see him take them on, but uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not clamoring for for old school villains anymore at all. I, I'm I'm I, I I want I want Moffat to keep doing what he's doing and creating creating new villains. And well, if he can keep coming up with stuff like the Silence, which I thought were very effective. For sure, as villains, uh, if he keeps coming up with stuff like that, I'll be uh, I'll be more than happy just to leave all the all the old school monsters where they are. For sure, for sure, you know. Um, but I'd say I, I would like to see what they could do with the Zygons because they are. Um, if you think back to that story, they they are quite. It was actually quite a creepy story, especially when you have like the um, the Harry Sullivan duplicate lurking in that barn. And the way yeah. it was shot and everything, and the whole sort of nature um, of the Zygons, you don't, you could be talking to one, you know, or could walk past one, you wouldn't know because they're basically sort of they got these like they're basically shape shifting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I just like that idea. And you didn't need to have the Zygons in their Zygon form on screen all the time. It, it, you, if done right, it could be a really, really creepy, effective story. Uh, and it. it- and just to say, even though you didn't have to have them in their Zygon form, uh, that's still to me my my favorite classic uh, character design. Oh, it was amazing! Uh, it was it, absolutely amazing because I think when that episode came out, I must have been about four or five years old. Um, but I can vivid still vivid remember watching that one on the television. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, and it does. It's that. It's just that design. It just stays with you. The co- and the costume was fantastic. It was so well done and it's so well, uh, uh, it, it well executed. And and it's it's almost as if I, I look at that costume and I think about uh, I always I would think about how they would try and update that for the modern series. And they really wouldn't have to do much. They wouldn't. They really wouldn't. Um, I, it's a fantastic design. As yeah. I say, it's iconic. It's like it's like the Daleks. It's like the Cyber- okay, the Cybermen have gone through a few changes over the years, but the the basic design is still there. Um, and they have then sort of tinkered around with it a little bit, just to sort of update it for what you know for the the eighties or the night, you know, or the or the, the noughties, what you want to call it. So, um, but as you say, they wouldn't have to do much to the to the Zygons at all. Ice Warriors, yes, because yes, you, yeah, because you, you look at uh, <laughs> if you look at them, they are so slow and they. Sort of shamble around, and you know, um, they just the costume just looked damn uncomfortable to wear. They're basically sort of screwed into them, weren't they? So, <laughs> so, I, I, yeah. So, I don't think um, it would sort of sort of cut the mustard these days, would it? <laughs> no, no. Ice warriors definitely not. Those are those are just a guy in a barrel, uh, you know, with yeah. a, with a claw for a hand. Really, those would definitely need to be 
definitely need to be redone. And definitely. and and you look and you know definitely the 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 Cybermen needed to be redone, and the and the Santarans needed to be redone because a lot of that was was really not that not that great, or at least the makeup and the and the the costume itself really really needed uh, a modernization to it. Um, Daleks, well, I mean, we, you know, Daleks. I, 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 we know what's coming with that pretty soon, so that, that's that's right. going to be yeah. very interesting to see all of all of that play out on screen. So. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I'm, lo- I'm rather looking forward to that actually, just to see if they could do anything different this time. Yeah, yeah, um, and and make the Daleks threatening again. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I totally agree. I mean, they they have not been threatening for a very long time. So, well, they haven't been since Dalek. Back in no. 2005, they no. you know they really haven't. Um, even in stuff like um, Bad Wolf and uh, Partner of the Ways, no. Um, even then, they weren't used that. I, I, actually, I, I tell a lie. The way when they in, invaded um, the space station, mm-hmm. they were used well then when they when they basically sort of come into the area. What basically all the, the all the humans on the on the space station were hiding. And they, yeah, and, they, and they exterminated the whole lot of them. But again, it was all done off camera, and all we had was Linda with a Y. You, you, <laughs> right. you, you just saw her reaction to she was watching it on the view screen, and I think that yeah. that was so well done. And then you get the bit with with the Dalek floating up outside the the window in the room she's hiding in. Oh right, I forgot all about that. I just always think about when they when they killed Jack, which was which was pretty good. Yeah, it was good. Uh, but it's that bit when you see that Dalek flight and you don't hear. There's no sound. You just see the um, the ears flash, and you know what those what that means. Yeah, and exactly. It, yeah, oh. it was it was so well done. I'm was, I was, I was looking forward to revisiting the episode. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're sort of, yeah, because we're sort of working our way backwards. So I don't know how long it will be before you get back to series one. So, <laughs> <laughs> just wow, the way, just the way it's worked out. But there you go, there you go. Okay, well, we got we got really far from uh, from uh, Fires of Pompeii. Fires of Pompeii there, just yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah, just a bit. Yes, just that was a great. Bit. We we really went down the rabbit hole there. Oh, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> right. <sure. laughs> Which pill? Blue pill or the red pill to come back up? <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, um, I think to, to sum up Fires of Pompeii, what? How? How would you sum it up? It's just a fantastic episode. Just uh, you know, if you it, it, users can get it, it, get past partners in crime, whether they whether you know if they don't like it. I I, I personally I do like it, but Fires yeah. of Pompeii is really it's it's such a, it's such a strong strong standalone episode, and it has it has so many great elements of Doctor Who in it, being historical and being aliens in the past and and uh, aliens giving you know uh, how they're affecting humans and the Doctor actually affecting the past and taking part in some huge historical thing. All of that it's just it's 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 fantastic and really mostly mostly well well executed definitely I, I completely agree with that i think it's um after partners in crime and now fast Pompeii, i think it was um a, a good solid start to series four yeah i really do sure. um yeah the sort of it was a good okay the, the partners in crime it was a, it was a very light-hearted piece but i think it was a good story to open the series with and then this moving on, you said a little bit of comedy there with Catherine Tate's getting all, you know, the character of Donna getting a little bit bolshy with people. Um, but then it, it moved at the same time, it moved her character on, and within quite a good a good story as well. 
a good history. And you still, and uh, you still get a call back to, to to at the at the very end. You get a call back to the runaway bride when he says, "You're right. I do need somebody." Yeah, that's right. So I I, I think it's, it was very 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 well written. I really do. It was a damn good episode. Damn good episode. Even, I agree. even though we, we we picked a couple of holes in it, but. That's that's what that's what Doctor Who fans do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're never entirely happy, are we? <laughs> what can you do? You exactly. Gotta, you know. Exactly. Okay then. Right. Well, um, I think it probably just about wraps up this little retrospective of um, of Fires Upon Pay. But before we go, Stephen, would you like to, um, as customary in these situations, would you like to tell everyone about your podcast? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, uh... Just everyone give a listen. Uh, a Madman with a Box podcast, and you can find it at a madmanwithabox.com. And, um, uh, you know, we, we, guests come on, they pick an episode, and we talk about, we talk about the episode that they want to talk about, uh, for a little bit. And it's a lot of fun. And, uh, I've got some, uh, I've got some good guests lined up, uh, over the next, uh, over the next few weeks. Um, and further on over the next few months, there are some, there are some people who, uh, who are going to be appearing that I think some people will be excited about. Um, and, uh, just, you know, uh, I, I have a blast with it. So hopefully other people will like it. Excellent stuff. Excellent. Okay then. Well, um, that about wraps it up for this week then. So um, hopefully um, Paul should be back next week. So we'll be talking about the planet of the Ood. Um, so thanks very much, Stephen, for joining us. Thank you so much, Phil. This was this was so much fun. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Thank so, you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So uh, for another week, it's goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Stephen. Goodbye. Podcast, a proud member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at the show, please drop us an email at feedback at who's-he.co.uk and please also visit our website, which is at www.who's-he.co.uk and you can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. <laughs>